0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get
1: ready to change your life.
0: Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. Montecito, to be specific. And uh, before we get started, I want to remind you that there is a website that is associated with this podcast called WealthFormula.com. WealthFormula.com is where... You go to get all the goodies that you can't get just from listening to the podcast, all the downloads. There's some webinars on there, and there's some lists to consider joining. One of them is the accredited investor list. If you are an accredited investor and you want to get onboarded into our accredited investor group, go ahead and sign up for Investor Club. Of course, you have to be accredited in order to do that. What is accredited? It means you make at least $200,000 a year. For two years, with a reasonable expectation of continuing to do so in the future, three hundred thousand dollars if you file jointly, or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence. Now, there are some other ways you could be an accredited investor. You can have various, I think, you know, series this, series that, but you know, uh, you'll have to look that up because it's generally not our group. But that's fine too. Uh, anyway, also, you can also sign up for our Wealth Formula Network, which is what you get when you sign up for the course, our roadmap for real wealth, which if you go to wealthformularoadmap.com, you can check that out. There's a specific site for that. And that is course will lead you into the well formula network which is our private community our private community is where the magic happens you know we have a Facebook group we have bi-weekly zoom conference calls uh, we go into a lot of depth on a lot of topics and if you've listened to the last few shows you will have heard uh, three members of well formula Network and and um, you know how it's helped them or how it's, uh, how it's been used by them in their own financial lives. Of course, we've been doing that for the last three weeks, and then you heard actual members of the Wealth Formula community talk about their stories. And a recurrent theme through these interviews, if you've listened to them, was the concept of Wealth Formula banking, and in case you didn't notice, all three of these individuals are essentially using Wealth Formula Banking as a cornerstone of their investing strategies. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Wealth Formula Banking? Well, what it is, is an investing strategy. That's how I would describe it. Specifically, it's an investing strategy that utilizes permanent life insurance. Now, I know what you might be thinking at this point. You might be thinking, my financial advisor told me to stay away from permanent life insurance. None of that whole insurance, whole life insurance, none of that. My financial advisor told me to buy term and invest the rest. That they like to do that. It's like a little jingle. And believe me, I've heard that 1 million times. I've heard it over and over. In fact, I used to believe it. But then during my own financial journey, which was you know, significant, I noticed that pretty much all of the high net worth individuals that I met, and I'm talking about people who were making a lot more money than doctors and who had a lot more money than me, were using some kind of permanent life insurance in their own portfolios. So I'm thinking, well, why is that? If permanent life insurance is not a good strategy, then why are all these super smart people with a ton of money using it? Maybe they may know something that the financial advisors weren't telling them. So after digging and digging and digging, I got some answers. And the answer was that, yes, in fact, what the financial advisors were telling me and my colleagues, the young physicians coming out of residency was in fact true. Permanent life insurance, the way it is presented to most people is not a good strategy at all. You know, all these Northwestern mutual policies and stuff when they do have whole life, it's terrible. It's terrible. However, the devil is in the details, right? It's it's like anything else. You know, you have a few degrees of separation and you go from a terrible, terrible investment to something that's structured properly that maximizes cash flow, cash value minimizes fees and provides the same asset protection and stuff like that. And all of a sudden you've got an extraordinarily powerful, powerful tool that can amplify wealth creation and amplify is the key word as you will see. Now, if you're wondering, you know, what books to read on this concept and all that, there's a lot out there. I mean, the original one that uh, I think is pretty much the, the pioneering book in these concepts is called uh, Become Your Own Banker from Nelson Nash. And this is an older book, but it drives home uh, a lot of the fundamentals of this wealth building concept uh, in an easy to understand format. Now, Nelson Nash's concept uh, is sort of just the beginning because what we've done with the wealth formula banking concept is to really optimize it further for people like you, active investors, you know, who make more money. Because it's really important. We don't need to, you know, take loans from our accounts to, you know, buy buy TVs and stuff. That's not what we're doing here. We're trying to amplify our wealth. So in short, what wealth formula banking does. Uh, it involves uh, something that creates asset protection. It causes tax efficient growth and it allows you to invest the same money in two places at the same time. Now, we call that double dipping. And while it may sound too good to be true, I can tell you from my personal experience, and those who you will hear from today will tell you that it's not too good to be true. And that's why, at the very least, I believe. You need to learn about it and decide if it's right for you, because this is not something you're going to hear from traditional advisors. It's just not because the the insurg- insurance agents, um, I think Jim mentioned it, Jim Pfeiffer mentioned it in an early interview because he's a guy who used to deal in this insurance space. He said, you know, the way that they were trained to do it would optimize commissions for the insurance agents, but it wasn't necessarily the best for the client. So that's not what wealth formula banking is. It is the opposite now. Okay. So it sounds all mysterious. What the heck is this? So that's what this whole podcast today is all going to be about. There's no better way to learn about it than to hear fellow wealth formula community members. Like you discuss the concept along with uh, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie, our wealth formula banking experts, and that's what you're going to get right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to do something sort of special. The last few weeks, we have uh, interviewed members of the Wealth Formula community and figured out their individual journeys. There's one thing that we talk about frequently on this show as sort of... a uh, a nice place to start for investors, a nice sort of uh, baseline, so to speak. And that is the concept of uh, wealth formula banking and uh, velocity plus, um, which you hear us talking about quite a bit and a number of you already are doing. Um, and as you, and if you have been involved, you already know Rod Zabriskie and Christian Allen. And so, What we decided to do today was to try to shed a little bit more light on how these types of products work sort of ultimately as a foundation for some of the other things that we do in uh, Wealth Formula and Wealth Formula Investor Group and all that. So I am going to interject, but this is going to be mediated largely by uh, Christian and Rod. So why don't I hand it over To you, Christian, and you can kind of introduce uh what we're gonna do and and you know who all of our panel.
2: Yep, that sounds great. So, like you said, we're excited to have a panel of guests. All of them are existing clients that we've worked with and done a variety of different strategies. And so the goal today, and 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 this is something that we've just heard, Rod and I, as we meet with people, there's oftentimes people asking us, you know, what are other people doing? Like they want to hear the stories. And so Today, like you said, Buck, we're going to hear some of the experiences and stories of some of the people who are active and part of the Wealth Formula community. So with that said, I want to first just introduce the three members of our panel, and I'm going to turn that over to Rod so he can just give a short bio about each one of them. That way that way we know uh, who we're hearing from.
3: Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so first we have Julie Rayfelt. And Julie is coming to us from Michigan. She's an internist, also works as a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at Western Michigan University. Um, she's been utilizing wealth formula banking for about the last four years and is very active in real estate investing. We'll learn more about that as we go. Uh, secondly, we have Dave Ferguson, who's coming to us from Texas. He is the owner of Celebrate Dental and Braces, has several locations across four states. Uh, he recently started this uh, the Celebrate Institute where he teaches dental professionals across the country, uh, specialized techniques. And he also uh, has incorporated wealth formula banking as well as premium finance and his own captive insurance company. We'll get into a little more on that as well. And then finally, we have Ryan Stieg, who's coming to us from Montana. Um, He's worked many years uh, specializing in transportation insurance, but he's now actually transitioning out of his regular working career, moving toward being a full-time entrepreneur and investor becoming a franchisee, becoming partner in an investment company, etc. And uh, he also actively uses Wealth the Baking and Velocity Plus as well. So thank you all three for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks everyone. We're excited to have you. And just, to, just so everybody listening knows, these are all um, highly successful people who have been doing a lot of cool things with uh, Wealth Formula Banking, Velocity Plus, Premium Finance, all of the things that we talk about and teach so much. So what I want to do first, I think, is maybe just open up kind of a, a question for everybody just to kind of get us going. And and the first question is kind of what attracted you to the Wealth Formula Network? So Julie, why don't we start with you? Just kind of give us an idea how you got connected with Buck's group and, and kind of what it's meant for you.
4: Um, initially, I was looking to retire early. I'm uh, working at a VA in Michigan and uh, I wanted uh, to find a way after my mom passed away, I wanted to find a way that I could have more meaning in my life and spend more time with my girls. So I was looking at a lot of podcasts and Buck came on a podcast and said, instead of saving all my money and living in poverty till I retire, I can earn money and live with abundance and actually earn money instead of retiring and I can just stop working and and do or do a different career so that's kind of what got me into buck's group and i heard buck and then i watched the videos i listened avidly to every podcast that i had missed already and uh and i've been listening ever since and i joined the wealth Formula network about three years ago so
2: excellent I, yeah thanks julie and she's been uh very active and, and anyway, really big, a uh, good part of the community. Hey, Dave, why don't we move over to you? Just kind of how you got connected to Buck's group.
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I really take credit for Buck's viewership or listenership uh, because I think I was one of the, uh, the first. And so he, he hasn't given me the thanks that I, think I deserve, but uh you know, as soon as I started listening, I, I started telling everybody around, and next thing I know, everybody's listening to Buck Joffrey, <laughs> So you're welcome. Uh, I was you know,
0: wondering about that, Dave. It was you, yeah, huh? That's right. Yeah. yeah one day I only legs. had five listeners, and the next I was getting like you know twenty or thirty thousand downloads a month, and I it was like, <laughs> it,
1: it was me. It was me. I was one of the first, and, and now there was so many. So you know, just connect the dots. Um, okay. you, you know, in all honesty, uh, I I had always heard the same old stuff. Um, you know, get term life insurance and best arrest, yada, yada. And <laughs> And long story short, you know, the more I listened to Buck, you know, he kept talking about it over and over and over. And, and instead of being annoyed with it, I thought, well, everything that Buck says, you know, I really resonate. It really resonates with me. And so I better really look into this. Um, and and the more I did, you know, he connected me, uh, you know, with Christian and, and Rod, you guys. And, and the more we talked about it, the more we went over, you know, it just makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it, numbers are numbers and it either it either works or it doesn't. And, and for me, it's worked. And, and I'm grateful for it.
2: Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Ryan, your turn. Tell us a little bit about how you got connected with the group. Yeah, well, uh,
5: I feel like I'll echo the first two, although I, didn't, I can't take quite as much credit as, uh, as Dave for the listenership that Buck gets. <laughs> but uh, similar path, uh, kind of as I started investigating this, uh, this alternative investment space or financial independence, what have you, uh, through a series of podcasts, Buck was on one of them, and uh, his message resonated with me too. You know, kind of the same same trigger event uh, that Purple Book often talked about on this this podcast yeah. sphere uh, was one of the triggers for me too. And so his his message resonated with me. And uh, you know, I've been a I've been a listener since probably and Buck I don't know when when you got started, but probably late seventeen or eighteen is when I got introduced and been listening ever since and then uh, like Julie uh, went through the course and uh, part of the network although I'm not uh, able to join the calls bi-weekly but I listen to all of them and try to put as many of them into practice as I can so uh, kind of a
2: similar path just been listening since since the beginning. Wonderful. 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 Thank you. Okay. We're going to kind of transition and start talking about some of the fun stuff, the strategy part of it. Okay. Well, let's let's jump into it then. Buck, why don't you give us kind of a high level overview of what wealth formula banking is before we jump into the deep end?
0: Yeah. I wanted to, this is important because we have a lot of new listeners and we always talk about wealth formula banking and you hear about you know, cash flow banking and infinite banking, all these things, they're kind of the same, you know, they're basically the same thing. And for the longest time, I was like, okay, be your own bank. What does that even mean? I don't understand. So I always just, you know, never pay attention. But I want to give two, a very high level concept. The aha moment for me was when I realized, okay, you could have life insurance, but the point for these is less about life insurance and more about, growing money and then being able to deploy capital efficiently so in a wealth formula banking policy essentially what happens is you are overfunding a life insurance policy and it is whole life uh so essentially what happens is that you are you you are you are creating an investment account right and that investment account is growing at you know I think mine is like growing at like five and a quarter or something like that, but it's growing at a compounding rate, which in and of itself is really important. And for real estate investors, we don't talk about that as much as we should, but it is important because the concept is similar to velocity. It is like compounding interest. You look it up on Google, compare, compare compounding interest to simple interest. It's a huge, huge difference because it's interest paid on interest. And so so if you can get a, you know, sort of a guaranteed, you know, I know there's there's a split between dividends and guaranteed rate and all that. But all in, if you're getting about 5.2% or something like that, it's pretty significant. Now, okay, 5.2%, that doesn't excite me too much. But what does excite me is the next part that was the aha moment, which is that I could borrow this money, you know, a significant portion of it. Uh, from the insurance bank, from the insurance company itself, not tapping into the money that's in my cash value, but rather using that money in my cash value as collateral to get a loan, and a loan that is charging me a simple interest rate. Now, that is that in of itself is huge. There's an arbitrage between compounding and simple interest. But right now, we're actually getting, you know, a uh, significant uh, difference in the n- number of points too. Like, I mean, I think some people are getting, uh, you know, three and a half percent simple interest, while their money's growing at a compounding rate of five point two. So that may not seem like a huge difference, but if you go back, if you go to WealthFormulaBanking.com and you look at some of the differences in terms of growth over time of cash flow investments, it's enormous. Now. So that's that. Now, the other thing that we're going to hit on is, you know, so with Wealth Formula Banking, it's essentially being able to invest your money in two places at the same time. That's that's really what it is. And that's what the value of that is. The other thing that we talk about is, um, and I think I'm going to just talk about it a little bit because I know Dave uh, Ferguson in particular has done some of this stuff, is that You know, there's another thing that we call Velocity Plus, uh, which is a slightly different way of doing things. Okay, and in this situation, what you have have is okay. Same type of deal as Permanent Life. You have an investment account, but instead of you leveraging it yourself and buying real estate, this one is going to go. You know, basically be based on the performance of the S and P 500 or some related stuff like that. And the, the beauty of that kind of thing is that you take the upside up to a certain percent and then you, but you don't take the downside. So if the market goes up by 8%, you can take that 8%, but if it loses 20%, you don't have to lose 20% of the value of your portfolio. How is that possible? Well, it's magic, but it, it you know, it, it basically, it's an options play. But, and again, you may say, well, 8%, well, that's fine. But here's the thing is when you add leverage to that 8%, that, you know, 7 or 8% becomes like 20%, right? Or more in the case of, of higher amounts of leverage. So I don't want to get too complicated. But if you know, if you want to go back and watch wealthformulabanking.com and look at those videos, that'll help to clarify that. And then these conversations will actually even become more powerful if you're not familiar with the concepts. But hopefully that's just a high-level Introduction. So I'm going to give it back to you, Christian. Okay. I've thoroughly confused everybody now, and you can take it. <laughs> I from think there. it's perfect. That's a good. Yeah. That
2: was a good overview. Yeah. So we talked about two strategies here. We talked about wealth formula banking, where we are using the cash value in the policy as an opportunity fund. It's liquid, gets a good return, um, it's safe, creditor protected, all that good stuff, just like you talked about. So uh, and and similarly on Velocity Plus, like you said, we're just we're just changing the direction. And instead of us paying money into the policy, we're letting a bank do the majority of the premiums. So we'll get into that again in a minute. But let's let's kind of talk a little bit about what the Wealth Formula Banking side of things. And Julie, I want to jump over to you. You've been you've probably been a client for the longest of anyone on this call. And uh, I know you've done a lot in the real estate space. So why don't you just talk a little bit about um, what kinds of investments that you use in conjunction with Wealth Formula Banking?
4: Well, I had to build up my equity in the life insurance policy initially. Um, and so um, I'm still working on that. I've, I've had, I think, three big money entered into the policy. And so once um, I got the money into the policy, then I was able to immediately take the money out at the same, pretty much the same amount that I put in to use towards buying property. And so, and as I've been working to increase my, Income. I've also been working to increase my net worth, so I've been using it for buying single-family homes, as well as I bought a syndication in ATMs, as well as I did a syndication with Buck. And then, as I have a liquidity moment, I pay back the um, uh, the the policy loan that I took, and then I go use it again on something else that comes up. So I can kind of wait. It allows me to wait a little bit to figure out what I'm going to invest it in next. And then it's really easy to get the money back out by just asking for a loan. I get a check and it's done and it takes about three days total. It's great. And so the concept for for you,
0: Julie is the concept for you again, I guess, you know, when you look at it, you're amplifying the amount of leverage and therefore amplifying your returns.
4: Absolutely. So I've been buying things with hundred percent leverage by using the policy loan.
0: So effectively, it, the equity is coming from the policy, um, the policy loan, and then you'll have bank leverage on the rest.
4: Um, actually, for some of the things, I'm complete 100% from the policy loan.
0: Oh, is that right?
4: Um, and, then on, and then on some of the things I've also been doing on bank leverage, it, the issue comes is when you get enough loans, it's really a pain to talk to banks. So, um, I got to the point where Mm I was hitting about six or seven loans and they want too many documents. And I actually got denied for a loan, but I had promised some friends of mine that I would buy a duplex from them. And I said, (laughs) okay, how am I going to pay for this duplex? So I, um, basically I had enough equity in the policy that I took all the money out and I just paid cash for the duplex from the policy loan. So essentially it was, it's kind of like my own cash. I just use it as my piggy bank and then I'll replace it because I sold something last week and so I'll replace the policy loan with the money that I um, just sold the I had a liquidity event and so um that that liquidity event will then fund the rest of the policy and then I was thinking about what I was next gonna buy with the loan actually just last night I was thinking about what what's next
3: and Julie, on, I think on you hit on, yeah I think you hit on something that's really important because because we run into a lot of people who are not yet using wealth formula banking. And and one thing that they really get dissatisfied with is the money between deals, it's sitting in the bank account and it's just not doing anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so this idea that you can be earning something on those dollars while you're between deals. And like you said, that maybe that gives you the freedom to even uh, take your time, right? You don't have this pressure of, okay, gotta get this money working for me because it is, and it will be there working for you, whether you take the loan against it or not, right?
4: Absolutely. And I've found that there's never a problem of finding a deal. There's always lots of deals. Um, And as you do more of them, you get called by people, would you like to do another one? And um, I -hmm. found that just kind of putting things out and talking to people, either Buck has a deal or there's a deal in the community or everything. And so each way, um, I just kind of keep, I'm trying to keep the cash flow growing as well as now my husband wants to retire. So I got to pay for his retirement, um, but and also, um, yeah. And also increasing the amount of, uh, overall net worth we have to allow the, the to pay for the children's college. And
0: so the and way things. Julie does, this is pretty classic. This is like the classic use of this for real estate investors. And sometimes people ask the question, well, why isn't she just using a home equity line of credit? Well, the answer to that really is the big difference between a home equity line of credit and what she's doing with the banking policy is when you borrow on the home equity line, that money is not there anymore. In other words, if you have $100,000 of home equity on your home equity line of credit and you borrow that, well, you borrowed it. You're not making money on it anymore. But what Julie's effectively doing is borrowing against $100,000 and leaving it there so that she continues to make money on that initial $100,000, and that's the magic here.
2: Ryan, I wanna talk, uh, I wanna to transition to you just a little bit. And uh, you've, been, you've, you've gone all in and, and done multiple policies, you've been Wealth Formula Banking, you've done Velocity Plus, but maybe let's just talk a little bit about what attracted you to, uh, let, let's start with Wealth Formula Banking and the kind of things that you're planning to do or actively doing now. Yeah. Um,
5: so I think before before I got introduced to you guys, I had term policies uh, on my wife and I. And, you know, I had read, uh, as Buck referred to earlier, Bank on Yourself uh, by Nelson Nash, which is loosely uh, a loose translation mm-hmm. translation of what we're mm-hmm. doing here. Um, and so getting connected with you guys and then listening to the initial podcast on, on the why behind a wealth formula banking policy. Um, I think one of the terms that Buck used that really clicked for me is double dipping. And so when when that clicked for me, that's when I changed it, got rid of my term policies. and like you said, I kind of went all in uh, initially, uh, a policy for all of our family members. So me, one for my wife, one for each of my kids. Um, I think you know kind of the why behind the kids is I was investing in a five twenty nine so I essentially replaced the investment that I was making in a five twenty nine there offering me more flexibility, and also locking in a policy that they have the ability to keep for life. Uh, So from that standpoint, it was was kind of a no-brainer for me, as well as the ability to really teach them some of the functions and features of how to use banking efficiently. And so we've even used that since then for my son. He wanted a motorcycle. And so we talked about taking a loan from the policy and how to pay it back and then being able to use, reuse and recycle those funds. So that's, that's the kind of the why behind my, the policy for each of my boys, but uh, for our, for our, our policies for my wife and I, obviously the life insurance is the benefit that is at the base of why we do it anyway. But the double dipping is allowed us to invest in cash flowing assets um, to strategically pay off debt when and where it makes sense. Obviously, you know, if if the rate is low enough, it it makes sense to keep the debt there, but uh, it's allowed us to have that flexibility. Um, you know, we've used it for uh, I've I've been uh, in the past more actively involved in turnkey real estate as as Julie has, uh, and so I've used that for down payments uh, on on turnkey real estate. Overall liquidity, uh, it has really given us that sense of security that one we have life insurance, but it's also Uh, liquidity that we keep at a base layer. And, and we know that we've, we've got that there. Um, You know, I haven't gotten into the ATM funds, which I know uh, I might be in trouble for, because that's, uh, that's one of the best uses of a policy like this. So I'm, I'm waiting on that too, but, you know, it's, it's really given us flexibility in, and I I hate to steal the term, but being our own bank. And so uh, Mm -hmm. it's given us the best of both worlds of protection in in life insurance and liquidity but also the ability to to use those finances strategically for when and where we need them
0: Ryan when you say um, you, you know and I, and I've used the word double dipping but when do do you explain what it means to you when you when you hear you said that's what made it click for you uh,
5: you know kind of going back to, to what you said just a couple minutes ago is that if that cash is sitting in my bank account and I use it for an investment, it's now gone and it's got a single purpose. But if I use that from my policy, I'm using that from my policy. So now I've got an interest rate associated with that, whether it's 5% or what have you. But that amount is still growing at a compounding rate in within the policy. So as long as I as long as I'm smart about the arbitrage on that rate, as long as I'm investing at a greater rate than the policy rate is, uh, I've got that arbitrage in interest rate that the policy cash value is still growing, but I'm also using it. So double dipping is essentially to means, me means that I'm using that same dollar in two different mm, places.
2: Right. Excellent. 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 Okay. So I want to, I want to make sure that we spread the well spread the love a little bit. And, uh, but before I do that, Ryan, why don't you just hit on what attracted you to Velocity Plus? Cause you've done both of the strategies and, and obviously wealth formula banking is the more active but in addition to that you uh implemented velocity plus just talk about kind of your your feelings or logic behind that move
5: yeah um i think as as he has a, several times in the past bucks podcasts on the subject kind of helps i think one of the things that's most relatable about buck is his his ability to make something understandable in layman's terms when we're first getting introduced to the concept and so uh, Velocity Plus for me is when I kind of started getting less uh, less enchanted with the stock market and uh, the variability in the stock market and kind of the cycles and volatility. Uh, I I kind of took a step back and and I stopped going down the acceler- or the accumulation path of a four hundred one k. And so eventually, where I got to, and it was a, a follow up conversation with uh, Rod at one of Buck's events uh, a year or so ago. Really, the thought process for Velocity Plus for me, one, is the ability to use leverage. Uh, two, the ability not to take the downside, as Buck would say. If I'm going to invest in the stock market, I don't want any of the downside. I want the upside. And so that's one of the things, too. But also, it has essentially, uh, you know, it's a long-term play. This is not wealth formula banking where you get to use those that, that cash or those that, uh, that cash value in a short period of time. This is a long-term play. Uh, for down the road. And so what it has essentially done for me is it has replaced my investment in a 401k and I have reallocated those funds, again, to have the ability to have a life insurance policy that's behind it. And two, I'm planning on using that as, as additional income when I'm you know, late 50s, early 60s, whatever that is down the road. And so it's essentially replacing what has traditionally been for me a 401k investment. Uh, for eventually income down the road, and so that's really the play that that I'm using, as well as the ability to have uh, leverage too. Which some people are are not keen on using leverage, but as long as it's used responsibly, I I like to use it as a strategy. So,
0: yeah, I mean, in this case, your leverage is basically, you know, it's just amplifying your upside, right? I mean, obviously. There's downside. You're you um, you're gonna pay some interest, but it's almost like an insurance policy, right? I mean, if, if the market <laughs> falls twenty percent, uh, you're you're certainly not paying that much in in terms of the amount of, of leverage payment for the year. So it, it is a little bit of an insurance policy on the downside. And on the upside, it's sort of a uh, just revs thing up. The other thing I think is kind of. Um, interesting to note is that you've talked about it as a replacement for 401k and I'm all for that I have to tell you and um, effectively um, whether it's through banking or through uh, wealth of velocity plus type thing that we're talking about here what we're seeing right now is more and more regulations and no matter what these uh, 401ks and IRAs they are ultimately uh, you're still at the mercy of the government and leg- new legislation and all that. I, I've already seen some, uh, you know, some potential changes that are occurring with Roths and you know because of uh, the the guys like Peter Thiel and stuff who've accumulated so much money in the Roth IRAs. If you have this kind of setup outside of the. You know, qualified fund system, you don't have to worry about those legislative risks in the future. So for me personally, I don't have an IRA or 401k or anything like that. I much prefer something that's outside of that system so that I don't have to worry about those kinds of legislative
2: issues. Yeah, that's a great point, Buck. And and it's really unique in the, in the sense that there's really no other way from like a retirement planning perspective to add leverage to it. We call it conservative leverage because it is pretty conservative, but the amplification that, that it can create on income is just remarkable. So um, I'm biased, but I firmly believe and haven't been able to find a place to create anywhere near the same kind of cash flow with the with the same kind of dollars, so i think it's really powerful and that's okay dave let's jump over to you for a few minutes now you've done uh you've done a bunch of things and some of the stuff that you you've been doing before we even connected um i know you had a big banking policy um prior to us connecting that we've been helping with since but but kind of the main thing that we've done with you is on the premium finance side and maybe got connected with um our friends to put the captive insurance uh company together too so why don't you just talk a little bit about what attracted you to the concept of premium finance and and maybe what the process was like, good and bad. And but just kind of give us your overall take on the the experience that you had with premium finance. And, and
0: before Dave starts with that, again, my job is to make the um make make things simple because <laughs> that's the way I bowl. Right. I don't put any spin on it. And, and I have to understand like from A to B uh, before I can get to C. When we say premium finance, what we're talking about specifically here is that a type of velocity plus thing. Again, this whole, you know, uh, using leverage with, you know, the S and P five hundred, that kind of thing. Um, But the velocity plus plans that we have in place for most people are three to one leverage, and they are they're built off of what Dave is doing, which is which is a more traditional you know, high net worth product, which is called, you know, which has been known as premium finance IUL. What that means is the premium is finance, just like in Velocity Plus. But now, um, if you hit a certain threshold in terms of your net worth or your income or whatever, you can actually get more leverage. And so we've just called that premium finance IUL. Sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to make sure that people understood that.
2: So Dave, why don't you give us just a little bit of... uh <laughs> your thoughts around <laughs> around what was the, what was the experience like why did you initially do it
1: yeah i it's- first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, It's really wonderful listening to Ryan and Julie's story uh, because it also helps me realize uh, that I'm not as unique uh, as as sometimes I think I am or as weird as I think I am because their story resonates a lot with me. So uh, thanks for for their shares. Um, You know, for me, I think I, even though I'm talking about Velocity Plus, I think I got to go back to, you know, originally I was a real estate investor. And so I was going around and, and acquiring real estate because... Because hey, that's the smart thing to do with my money, right? I can earn more than I can in the stock market. There was depreciation, appreciation, leverage, amortization, and all the other you know benefits that came with it. But then I started listening to the talk and he he said, uh, "Hey, you can you can earn money in two different places at the same time." And I thought, "Oh, I like that." So <laughs> um, so then what happened was is I I went and did a whole life policy, um, and what happened was is is then I started telling everyone like, hey, if you're gonna go buy real estate, do that. Continue to go buy real estate, but get a whole life policy first and then go use Mm -hmm. that money to the exact same amount of money that you were going to invest in real estate, because then you're going to earn 5% compounding and then you're going to go and make 12% or so Mm -hmm. in the real estate instead of just the 12% in the real estate. And then, and then the asset protection and everything that comes with that, um, that uh, insurance policy was also beneficial. Now, why do I, I share that because then what happened was is, I started having too much money in my whole life policy. And so I was,
0: you poor thing.
1: I, I know. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> it's a sad, problem? Yeah. Sad story. Um, so I had some extra money in my whole life policy, um, but couldn't come up with enough Western wealth deals. Uh, they sell, sold out too quick. And so I had this extra money uh, that I, that I had. So, then he introduced me to, to Rod and Christian, and, and the concept was really for me, hey, you can use uh, this – and I get mixed up with all the names. To me, I, I think of it as a leveraged whole life policy, and, and the thought was – is the word that makes a lot of sense to me is collateral. If you have some collateral – If you have a high net worth and you have some collateral on the side, that's just chilling and it's not doing anything, you know, well, I say not doing anything. It was still making 5% in my whole life policy, but, but that, you know, for, for people like us, that's not really fantastic. So then this idea that I could take that money that was just sitting there and I could use it as my collateral in this uh, Velocity Plus or leveraged whole life policy, then what, the, what would happen is, is then a bank would say, okay, that money's sitting there. Uh, you don't have to use it. You can leave it in there. You don't even have to pay interest to take a loan on it. Just because it's in there, we'll give you X amount of dollars and that will act as your premium to buy a whole nother policy. And so what they said to me was, you don't even have to spend any more money You'll borrow this. That will be your premium. And, and then it set up a whole new policy that had a death benefit. It had a it had a cash value. And so that premium was going to get funded every year. Well, then then it gets even crazier. It's, it's more like on steroids, because then what they showed me in the tables was as the value, as the cash value in that policy goes up, you don't need as much collateral which means now in that whole life policy, at first it was locked up for a time. But as time goes on, depending on how the stock market does, and if it does well, you can start reducing your collateral requirement very quickly. Which now, then I could again use it, uh, you know, it was almost like using money in three places. Can I copyright that? <laughs> no, you <can. laughs> We have not done the three
0: places yet. So that one can be yeah. the Ferguson technique. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I love it. That's, I, you know, and I know that's there's awesome. there's probably more details. It, it didn't make a lot of sense the first time, and I, I'm not as good at, at maybe making it clear. But I think just you know this idea that if you had some extra money on the side that you could use as collateral, you could get a whole other policy. Uh, never really put money into it. You you can if you want to reduce your collateral requirement. But but then eventually, ten years later, whatever that cash value is, you can then pay off the loan because the bank was giving me that loan to pay my premium. I wasn't paying any of it. So I did owe them. uh, But the thing was, is because of that compounding interest over time, my cash value was worth so much that I could go back, pay back all of my loan. And there was a free lump of money there. And for me, that lump of money was like, So that's free, other than I had to, you know, pledge some collateral. That money was free. And then it got even better because they told me, hey, that free money, you could actually take tax free loans against. Uh, And then all you got to do is die. And then you got to die. That's, That's, you know, that's the best way to avoid
0: paying a loan back, I think uh it's death and you know there's no and it's not like you have to die in a certain period of time it's like take your time die whenever you want to yeah. and then we'll <laughs> yeah. just you know we'll pay it with we'll the death
3: benefit right yeah. and that's one of those things where some people will joke about well i'm i'm worth more dead than alive, or or oh, whatever. God. But in that case, the increase is is so much better year over year that your family wants you to continue oh, to live yeah. because it just that leverage is just right. amplifying that.
0: So like crazy. let me just back up. So effectively, what Dave has done, and I, and I, the, I'm going to talk uh, to Christian and Rod a little bit about the details of this too. But is it effectively taking an asset? Because each one of these permanent policies is a true asset, right? And leveraged one asset that you paid for and then created a completely new asset, extremely profitable and valuable asset out of nothing because he paid for the first asset. And then the second asset over time is worth so much money that he can create another free asset. Am I wrong here? Or is that what you just told
2: me? (laughs) Okay. So, so, can I interject? Yes, I, wanna, I, yeah. in, I might make this really difficult on you, Dave. Um, but since you've done so well, I think I think you're up for the task. So we took this another step and maybe I'll drop Buck in here really quick. Buck tell us a little bit like what a captive mm-hmm. and what a captive is and then we'll we can move it back to Dave and talk a little bit about uh, why he created why he created that and some of the value that comes with it.
0: So captive insurance company, this is um, you know the IRS code, Uh, allows you to self-insure and, and specifically for, you know, your businesses and enterprise, uh, enterprise insurance we call. So the value of that for somebody who's got a business is that, okay, think about this. I mean, I, I've got some businesses and the, the types of the amount of insurance uh, premiums that we pay is, is pretty significant. Well, you never see that back again, right? Well, anyway, there's a lot of other things that you could also insure against that maybe are slightly lower risk or that insurance companies won't insure against that you could also pay a premium for with your own insurance company. And when, of course, when you pay an insurance payment uh, premium for your business, that's deductible, right? Now, when the insurance company receives it, uh, that's not actually income to them. Uh, That is Basically, you're you know, uh, going into a reserve uh, you know, to in, in case there is a, uh, some kind of event that needs to get paid out. So when you have a captive insurance company, effectively, that's kind of what you're taking advantage of. Instead of paying somebody else that insurance uh, premium, you are paying your own company. But because you're paying it, your company is taking it as a deduction. Uh, and then, you know, it, it's not like you're spending it unless, you know, eventually that, you know, insurance company gets dissolved or something, uh, so you don't end up paying taxes on that money. The insurance company has that money. And hopefully that makes sense, but effectively that's what a captive is. There is a again a little bit of a heavier cake and eat it too benefit there. So you yeah, did, is that good enough or
2: yeah, that's that great. Sense. I think that's yeah. a, that's good context. And maybe Rod can help us if we need to on some of the details. But one of the things that Dave has done is he implemented kind of a lethal combination of using captive in conjunction with premium finance. And that does some pretty unique things. And Dave, do you remember kind of the, the uh, connection between the two and what kind of value that's creating?
1: Well, yeah, I do. Um, you know, first of all, I, I suppose, you know, the disclaimer and, and maybe now is not the time, but I, I really do see the captive insurance company, um, you know, less is uh, not really as an investment vehicle, but it, but truly like in my business, you know, we've got, there's a, there's a lot of risks uh, that mm-hmm. are legitimate, uh, sure. very significant, legitimate risks across the board. And so, you know, I really, you know, for those listeners that, that may apply for some listeners that may not, I think in my situation, because we've got 16 offices, 30 partners, we're doing, you know, some high risk uh, procedures. We've got management companies, we've got real estate holdings, we've got a lot of different type of risks. So I think, you know, the benefit is, is if you do fall into that category and you have business uh, risk and you can insure it, that that really you see it as a separate business, um, not an investment, but like, Hey, I could start a, an insurance business, um, to ensure that could ensure the risks of my, of my businesses. So sorry for the long disclaimer. Um, that's perfect.
0: That's the way it should be, by the way, hundred percent.
2: Exactly. Yeah. We don't want to go into a captive, uh, unless it makes sense. Right. So Mm. I, I really like that you did that because we always tell people like, you don't go to create the, the connection between premium finance and captives. Like they have to stand on their own, make sense individually. And then once that happens, we can do some, some pretty unique things to leverage one another.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the IRS has very nice. The, the beautiful thing is that they're very clear. They say, hey, th- this is what uh, legitimate risks are. Th- these are the legitimate rules that you can follow. And it, and if you follow them and, and it works, then it, then it's great. Um, and it's a good business to be and not necessarily a good investment to make. Uh, you know how it falls into to leverage uh, whole life is is at the end that insurance company, now that it is a business, um, it can then make. Business investments, um, and some of those business investments could be um, purchasing uh, debt or whole life policies, just like uh, Buck also often talks about the uh, Warren Buffett buys all the insurance when people are going to die. Life settlements. Uh, yeah, life settlement. Yes. Yeah, yeah, So, an insurance company could make investments in something like a life settlement. It also could make an investment in a, in a life insurance policy that maybe somebody had set up, like me. Um, and so that's how you would then, you know, kind of tie those two together. I don't know if that was clear. No, that's uh, very
0: clear. And understand too that I mean, what what Dave is talking about is really important because he's not doing anything that a regular insurance company wouldn't do. He's protecting his company. And what does an insurance company do? One of the reasons why they are so um, stable over the years is they invest in things like real estate. They invest in things like life settlements. That's what they do in order to continue being profitable. So he's doing exactly what an insurance company would do. He's not doing anything different.
2: Beautiful. Okay, Rod. Why don't you take a second and just create talk about the tax benefits that comes from using the yeah. two together?
3: Yeah, because it, especially when when you get past this point where where the um, let's call it usefulness of the insurance company is is gone. So for Dave, who knows? Maybe that's in ten years. Maybe it's in fifty years. But it gets to a place where those risks are no longer there, and so he no longer needs to continue this. This entity as an insurance company, well, he can he can then shift the purpose, shift the the structure of it, and and now it has these reserves built up inside of the corporation, and and that opens it up even more because inside of a captive, you there really are a lot of restrictions on what you can invest in, but when it opens it up, then, then there are, there's more that you can do, and so this type of the the premium finest IUL now becomes an asset that 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 corporation can hold. And so by doing that, what he's done is during the the times where he's uh, setting the money into the captive, it's a deduction, right? So he, mm-hmm. he didn't pay any tax on it. Later on, if he were to start taking assets out of it, it would become, uh, he'd, be, he'd pay capital gains on it, right?
2: Which, by the way, is still a lot better than income taxes. Ordinary so that's income. one of the reasons that, that, that from a tax standpoint, why someone will use a captive is because you can basically change that from income tax to long-term capital gains tax.
3: Yeah, and then when we take that to the next level of what he described earlier, where now he's gonna start using loans against that policy to take income. But when you take loans, you don't you don't owe any tax on the loan. And so now that takes it now another step beyond that. So So he's not even paying the capital gains on it because it's coming as a loan from that insurance policy. And then when he passes away, there's this tax-free death benefit that pays off that loan. And so, again, from a tax savings, uh, just efficiency of, of cash flowing in and out of the different entities that had legitimate uses, now when it comes to the point of, of you know, starting to offload those, there, there's just an le- additional level of efficiency that we can gain for someone who has those two entities.
1: And if, if I could add, I mean, I think the, you know, full disclosure and, and transparency, I think the important thing is, is um, you know, some of those things, they can't be done anytime soon. And it will be, you know, when you get to a point where you start investing as an insurance company, once you are investing those monies that you have uh, to make sure that your insurance company is, is good uh, and sound, you have all sorts of options uh, of different things that you can invest in. You know, we're just talking about one uh really, you could make investments in, in a lot of different things um, when you get to that point. I have not done that, um, you know, and, and probably won't for 10 years, at least until, you know, we no longer see the risk um, associated with the operating entities as such that we wouldn't need those uh, those premiums anymore. So uh, I'll just throw that in there that, that I don't have direct experience with the things that we're talking about. It's more conceptual at this point.
2: Sure. Yep. It's in the future. It's been set up so that it can be done. And, uh, but obviously it takes time for some of these things to come to fruition. Um, Okay. We could probably go on and on. um, But I'm thinking maybe what we'll do next is just kind of get some words of some final words of wisdom from each member of our panel. And so um, Julie, I want to just ask, what would you say is the most important advice you could give um, the audience as it relates to real estate investing. Cause you, you kind of went through this, this path where you really jumped in and now you've learned a lot, you've done a lot of deals. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to the listeners specific to real estate investing?
4: With real estate investing, with using the well form of the banking, you need to be careful that number one, you're making more money than what you're paying in interest. Um, and make sure that you still have money available. You don't want to use every penny that's in the um, pot because you want to be able to come back if you have to do a capital expenditure or, mm-hmm. and you don't have the cash quite that moment. You want to make sure that you can um, that you have the money available to to tap into it again if you need to. So I found that and sometimes unexpected um, opportunities come up. and so you want to make sure that you are not putting all your eggs in one basket and, and leveraging, If you can get a bank loan to leverage most of it and then just do part of it from the wealth formula banking, it'll actually go quite a bit further. And so I found those two things really have made a big difference. And don't forget to pay the premium yearly of the amount that you said that you'd put into the insurance policy.
2: Great. Great advice. Okay. I, I'm going to so, ask
0: a question, though, too, that I want everybody to answer. In terms of the Wealth Formula Banking, how did you determine, you don't have to give me a, a dollar amount, obviously, but how did how do you determine the size of that policy? Because that's a frequent question that people, people get.
4: Um, actually, I talked to Christian and Rob, and I had lofty goals of what I thought I could do, and they put me back down to earth and said you should try this. (laughs) And we came, we came up with a number that was about halfway in between uh, their goal and my goal. So it ended up to be a good, a good mix. And I've been able to fund it each year. So
5: Mm
0: -hmm.
4: that was, that was the important thing. And it's only for about five to seven years that you need to fund it anyway. So,
0: so I think the key I felt like in those situations is to make sure that it's an amount of money that you are very comfortable that you will have um, every year. Um, you don't want to base it on the best year you've had in like, you know, 10 years and, and max it out. And the reason is that the overfunding is the absolute critical part of this. You want to be able to put in is the entire amount every year. Uh, and so, um, you know, the way so 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 it is going to be a, uh, you want to be somewhat conservative in that so that
2: you can make that happen. And Rob yeah,
4: and I- Christian helped a lot with that.
2: Yep and and I think one of the nice things is is it, once people get the get the feel of it there's a lot of times where people add policies but we'd rather have you add policies as it makes sense than overextend in the front end so that's always something that's super important to us we want to make sure that the policies are generating the return so that we can deliver on the the concepts and strategies we're talking about so that's a great point Julie thank you for bringing that to the table Okay. Oh, actually we want Buck wanted to ask uh, that question around the table. So maybe uh, Ryan. Yeah. Uh,
5: Similar to Julie. I think that uh, Rod and I had the discussion of maybe what my stretch stretch goal was and, and what my comfort zone was, you know, the minimum payment annually versus what the max the max amount would be able to be on the policy. And then we layered it in with uh, adding, adding a policy for my wife and kids too. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a multi-factor approach to see what I knew I was going to be comfortable with and then what my stretch goal was too. So uh, again, it was a, it was a conversation with Rod and and just kind of walking Mm -hmm. forward several years to make sure that it wasn't going to push me outside of my comfort zone. Um, But one thing I'll add to that too, that Rod and I did a couple of years ago is we layered in uh, a convertible term policy so Mm -hmm. that, I, I lock in that, that, that underwriting or that, that rate. But what we can do down the road then is if I get more comfortable, I'm no longer having to go back and be completely re-underwritten. I had the ability to to trigger that policy, uh, which we've done since then, uh, to be able to, to further add stretch goals. So we kind of took a stair-step approach uh, of where I knew I could be, uh, what my stretch goal was, and then adding that convertible term to to, to be able to, uh, stair step up if I had the ability
0: to. I think the convertible term is so important I, for me, as you guys, uh, Ron and Chris Shreden, you guys know, I have a lot of <laughs> convertible term, yep. right? And the idea for me is that, okay, I, there may come a day where that a lot does not seem like a lot anymore and I want to be able to take advantage of that without being underwritten. You know, ten years from now, uh, with whatever you know potential health problems I have or whatever like that. <laughs> and so, um, having that is twofold. One, you know, it just gives your family more protection because you have the term. But the convertible nature of it really gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility, especially if you're early in your career and you're younger. And you have no, you know, you, you don't really have the confidence that, you know, I'm going to be able to put this much per year or maybe you have no idea that you're all of a sudden you're going to be making a lot more money in a few years, you know, before you know it, you're Ferguson, right?
2: <laughs> Ryan, you brought up a really good, another really good point. Uh, the term, the convertible term, you also mentioned uh, alluded to the flexibility. I think this is an important point. We get the question a lot when we create these policies, we call, we create what we call a funding range. And so it's just like, it sounds a range of dollars that can be funded. And so usually it's going to be on about a one to three ratio. So if my, if my uh, goal is a hundred thousand dollars, then, you know, I might have a, a minimum of 20 to 25,000, but the, but the max is a hundred. Now what ends up happening then is if I only put the 25000 in in that situation, then my policy is going to grow very slowly, right? It's not going to be the effective nature that we want it to be. So the first couple of years are really where we want to fund as much as we can. If we can get the whole amount in the first couple of years, the policy is going to run and fly from there on out. And it's, we're going to be able to use it for all the things, the investing things that we talked about. Um, anyway, but I just wanted to hit on that because I think that's a really good point. We, we need to make them flexible because, you know, we don't know about the what ifs of life. So I think that was, an, that was a great point. Um, Dave, you did this prior to meeting with Rod and I. You already had a big policy that, you would, that you'd put together. Um, same question for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, when it comes to, you know, how much to, to make it, um, I threw a dart at the wall and, uh, that's, that's what it came up with. The the, the other answer would be, uh, I just asked Buck, uh, on, on, you know, I sent in a, a, a chat question and he just answered it online. Uh, But in all honesty, I looked at it like, you know, there had to be, uh, and you kind of alluded to it right there, Christian, you know, there's really two pieces of information that you have to know, right? Like what's the bare minimum I got to put in before like Armageddon happens and they take all my money. Right. And so that, that is a baseline number um, that I knew, Hey, I have to know, like, if all heck breaks loose and COVID happens and the government shuts down our offices and we get no income for a couple months, like, I need to be secure that I can get this amount of money in on a yearly basis. And then then the higher end is really just you know, again, what are your goals? What are your other investment strategies? And, and how much do you comfortably feel like, hey, every year I could probably put this in it. And, and like you said, Christian, if you can do it, I do think what you said is very important that the first two years, you wanna make sure like you can max it out entirely. But then after that, like, hey, if you've come up with other strategies that are gonna supersede, you know, this in, in the advantages, then, hey, you gotta fund the minimum and that's fine. But you gotta cush that if, hey, if you do have extra money, You can always be funding it here. What I found is, is that, you know, putting money in two different places at the same time, pretty much just every investment I think of doing, I'm always thinking like, do I have any room left to like overfund my life policy first and then use all of those investments? So even when you find good strategies and, and I think, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I picked the number. What I've found is, is usually I want more. You know, so um you know, then you gotta go through so I think that convertible we'll talk offline. Um, you know, like you said, I set it up beforehand and that and, and my guy didn't set up the convertible and I and I really wish I would have had it at this point. So I think that's a great um, you know, hopefully the, the listeners, you know, catch on to that.
2: Yeah, thank you, thank you. Okay. So Ryan, um One of the things we wanted to get into and didn't get into as much with you is just kind of the transition that you are actively making between from your career to like, I guess I I was gonna say full time investor, but full time investor and starting um, the new franchise. So maybe I I just want to hear a little bit about what that transition has been like and maybe what the value of the the planning techniques and, uh, you know, Bucks community. How's that helped you make that make that transition?
5: Yeah, uh, I guess I'm not not sure really where to start with that. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, kind of going going a ways back has really just been a long-term goal. And so I think the overall thing I'd say with, with the transition and how all of this stuff works is if this, if this is the fir- first podcast you're listening to of Bucks, just know it takes patience to implement a lot of these strategies. No matter where you are, you can get started, you know, entrepreneurship has been in my blood for, for a long, long time. Investing has been an interest of mine for a long, long time. Like I said earlier, I've been listening to bucks podcast since probably 17 or 18 other podcasts, even further back. And so it's, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so you, you know, you kind of take pieces from, from where you hear it and implement what you can, Um uh, one of the things that got caught, got me caught early on is, is, uh, analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. And so just getting stuck, you know, on, on one strategy or analyzing, a Julie I'm sure has been through the analyzing a turnkey real estate deal before you, before you finally get in. And so, you know, going back to your, your question about my transition, you know, it's really just been, uh, a, a matter of, of running that marathon and, and, Kind of going through what interests me, you know the the franchise opportunity that I'm that I'm getting into now is something that uh, one of Pod, Buck's podcast guests, Kim Daly, introduced me to, I oh, got connected cool. with her, and you know we we kind of explored that, and it was it was a career opportunity that uh, that really interested me, whether it was full time or part time. It'll end up being full time here shortly, uh, but just again, uh, just kind of exploring what's out there, but taking action I guess is is the the second part of it so patience knowing that it takes time to get this stuff rolling especially the the cash value of your policy it takes as you said a couple times a couple years to really build that up um, and and have that velocity in that policy um, and, and again it, it's just been a matter of, of patience and and, uh, and implementing different things that are key and, and interest me too so I don't know if I answered your question, but that's kind of the the theme that I would say that I've taken as far as where I've gotten today.
2: That's great. yeah, you answered it beautifully. Dave, I want to transition to you for a second. you've uh, you've done you've obviously created a, a thriving business, and maybe just talk a little bit, uh, maybe give your best advice on how to do that. I mean, you've been in the alternative space, you've been an entrepreneur an entrepreneur, but maybe just give the best advice that you have in general to the listeners.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm going to steal a couple more lines, um, you know, from Buck that that I really have, if there's anything, look, I've made some money. I've been blessed to really uh, make some money in life, mostly because I've been surrounded by smart people, not because of any, you know, natural talent I had or, uh, you know, but I've lost a lot of money and, and I've, I've done that because I got starry eyed and thought like, Hey, I I did listen to a ton of podcasts and a ton of investment things. And I read a ton of books and I did this and I did that. And I thought I was going to go, you know, figure out how to, how to do everything. And something that Buck, you know, I've really appreciated for those that really go back a long time with Buck, um, in the beginning, he had a lot of that fun, exciting stuff. Uh, and, and there was all sorts of fun things to learn about and in all honesty, and I don't know if you, you might have to edit this part out. Um, the, the podcast has gotten really boring um, in the sense that, and and I love it. And I listen to every single one of them. But the thing is, is he talks about for the most part, very similar things very often. And, and I come back to, Uh, you know, I, I am probably not as mature yet as Buck because while he's been saying these same things, those have been my best investments and my best strategies. And I still like get that starry (laughs) eye and go find something else. And I lose it. I'm like, darn it. Yeah. Was right. uh, and, and one last thing I would say is, is, you know, he says something all the time that I think everybody should listen to. He says, invest with people or, you know, use strategies like this with people, you know, you like, and you trust. And I've, I actually, before I did this policy with you guys, you know, I had done it with another person and, and he was pretty decent guy. I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't, sure. but there are other investment things that I've done where I did not know them. And I ended up not liking them or certainly not trusting them. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, uh, for the listeners, look, you may not like us. Uh, you may not like Rod and Christian or Buck or me or, or Ryan or Julie. I don't know. Um, and if you don't and you don't like us and you don't trust us, then don't do it. But, you know, the, the truth is my own experience is, particularly with these type of things, you want to find guys who do it upright. And there were a couple things that I that I asked Rod and Christian uh, when, when I was investigating, like, hey, somebody told me I could do this. And it was it sounded really good. And they said, well, You can, but with that guy, not with us. Uh, And and I really appreciated that because, you know, the truth is, is like, you've got to, I don't know what's right and what's wrong. And I don't know some of the spaces. And there's a lot of details with this, particularly around captives and other things that you really got to do it the right way and and understand it. And and so I would just leave the listeners with that. Do it with people, you know, like, and trust.
2: And boring is good. Boring Boring is is good. That's Buck's mantra. <laughs> Boring is good lately. Uh, that's ama- amazing advice from all of you. Uh, before I turn it back to Buck, I just want to say thank you guys for coming. We love, Rod and I are uh, really lucky to work with great people like you. Thanks for being on the show and I'll turn it over to you, Buck.
0: Yeah, this is re- great, guys. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, uh, Christian, Rod, and, and um Julia, Ryan, Dave, thanks for thanks for the uh, podcast. This has been great, and um, you know, before I get off here, real quick, uh, Rod and Christian, you guys started your own podcast. Tell us a little bit about that, so that people want to hear more about these strategies and kind of get pounded over the head with them, they can. <laughs>
2: Yeah, very cool. Thanks, Buck. So we started the Money Insights Podcast and we talk and teach all things money and business. You're going to hear some similar things with the difference being that we'll probably get into some of the nitty gritty where Buck's sometimes high level with economists and things like that. Rod and I, our our intention is to kind of break it down at another level. So... We're excited about it, and uh, yeah, thanks for giving us a chance to plug it, Buck. We really appreciate it.
0: Fantastic, guys. Well, again, thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, that's it for this uh, week. We will be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. I think it's important. It's an important concept. Now, the reason I decided to do this show is because all three of these individuals, all three of the previous podcasts, people who weren't on this podcast even, we're all bringing it up, you know, wealth formula banking, wealth formula banking. And and so I realized that this is a concept that all of our mature, meaning people who've been in the system, our system for a long time are implementing uh, on a regular basis. So I think, listen, this may not be for you and that's fine. But one thing that I try to do on this show is to give you um, access to information that you're not readily going to get from the people who are, you know, selling you the products. I mean, the people who are typically telling you to, you know, invest in term uh, or I'm buy term and invest the rest, are people who are managing your money and they don't want you to put too much money into whole life. And then the insurance agents, a lot of times, are telling you, you know, to do it in a way that's inefficient for you because it maximizes their commissions. And listen, I'm not begrudging anybody. I'm just telling you that that's why you may not be getting this information uh, from other sources. So hopefully you understand what we're talking about. If you don't go to wealthformulabanking.com and learn about it some more. Contact Christian and Rod. Try to figure out if it's right for you. If it's not, then that's fine too. But it's something I think it's important to learn about And that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.